You are listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. Our reading today is going to be from Exodus chapter 30, verse 1 to 10. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold, and make a gold moulding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the moulding, two on each of the opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the Covenant Law, where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight so that incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once once a year, Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Thank you, Florence. If you keep your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 30, but also 28 and 29 just before that, we're going to be through that entire chunk, but particularly those 10 verses in Exodus chapter 30. But this sermon is titled, The Priest, The Way to Life with God way to life with God, somewhere that would be wonderful, somewhere that would be warm, somewhere that might make us feel like we belong, somewhere that feels like home. So let me start by asking you, have you ever felt completely out of place? Maybe it's at a party when you're completely dressed in the wrong dress code. Or maybe it's when you're coming to a different country and you're surrounded by people who speak a language that you don't. Or maybe when it's when you come into a church and you don't know quite where to stand or what to do or who to talk to and where to behave. There are so many situations where you don't feel like you can belong, aren't there? I'll give you an example for me fairly recently. Um, well, fairly recently, a couple of years ago. So um, I lived in Newcastle before I came down to Manchester. And when I was up in Newcastle for uni, My attention and time was spent engaging with God, but also flirting with a girl called Claire, who was really lovely. And so all of my attention was drawn away from football until my friend said to me, would you like a spare two tickets to come along to the Newcastle United game? Wonderful. Yes, I'd love to come with you. My wife's coming. You need to bring yours too. Okay, deal. So we went along to the Newcastle United game. It's been a while since I've seen a live game but I know how to behave at these games. I know that there's a a code of what you need to say, how you do, how you present yourself. I've been there before. I know how to belong. My wife hadn't. And so we started by, um, hi, mate, great to see you. We're we're sitting there chatting away, and and it started the game. It's it's just at the beginning, everyone's cheering, and in Newcastle, they all do this chant where they go, 
toon, toon, black and white army. And Claire is just brilliant and she wants to get involved. So she goes, toon, toon, black and white army. So I'm like, what are you doing? No, 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 you're Southern. You can't say that. You don't, don't, no more doing that. Stop shouting, please. Just, just, just get involved. You can watch, but no talking, please. Okay, good. So we carry on watching, enjoying the game. It's really good. But she's been told to be quiet now, but it's Claire. She's lovely. She's so people-orientated. So the, the game calms down. 15 minutes goes. No one's scoring. It's getting a bit boring, if I'm being honest with you. So she turns to her friend and goes, so how's life? Tell me a little bit about it. No, you can't do that either. We are watching the game. There are people around here that are twice the size of me. I will defend you, but I will lose. Stop it, okay? Quiet. We belong around here. So she's now t- being told, you can't chant. You can't talk to your friend. You've got to watch the game. And she's not enjoying it. It's kind of boring. So she's watching the game. 30 minutes into it, it's a bit more boring. So she opens her handbag, pulls out um, some yarn, and just starts crocheting. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and as I look around, there are two guys who look twice the size of me with arms as big as my head who are just going, and I'm like, I do not belong here. My wife definitely does not belong here. And it was the most awkward second half of football that I've ever experienced. Isn't that what we feel sometimes? Maybe not in a big stadium with lots of people, but we feel like we don't belong at different points, right? And it's, it's awkward. It makes the hairs on your back stand up. It makes you feel tough. In fact, When I chat with so many of you, you'll say is we have 40 different nationalities in this church. And as you settle into Manchester, so many of you will go, I'm not sure if this feels like home yet. I'm not sure if I belong. In fact, for many of you, it takes somewhere between three months and three years for this place to feel like home, for you to feel like you belong. And it's not just me at a football game and you maybe with settling into church and us together. The world tells us that actually finding somewhere safe, finding somewhere that feels like home is tough. In fact, since COVID has happened and people are working from home more, the Harvest Business Review tells us that more and more people are feeling lonely and isolated in their own homes whilst they're working from there because it's hard to feel like you belong when you're isolated. And it's not just them. The generation, our youngest generation, is one that's been described as the most anxious and lonely The Aviva UK health check report found that they all said, 48% of them, that they feel anxious and lonely, and one in seven would suffer from some form of mild panic attack. We feel lonely, we feel alone, we struggle to find where we belong, and it's not just the young as well. In fact, Age UK notes that more than a million people go over a month without speaking to a friend, a neighbour, or a family member as the NHS website says, because it gives guidance on helping people feel connected and together. It is shockingly easy to be left feeling alone and vulnerable. And that's what all of us feel from time to time, isn't it? And you might, if you look around in the culture, think, oh, I'll join this group. Oh, I'll get to chat with these types of people. Oh, if, I, if, I, if, if, if this group of friendly people engage with me, then maybe I'll feel like I belong. Maybe I'll feel settled. If I try this job, if I do this thing, That's the way in which I'm going to suddenly feel safe and a sense of belonging. And it's only the Bible that gives you an answer to your desire to feel safe, to feel settled, and to belong. It's right here we see in Exodus 20 to 30 where the Israelites are looking back. They are looking back to the way in which we were made. The Bible tells us that we were made to feel like we belong. 
And there was a sense in which that was the case back in perfection when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Doesn't that sound amazing? The idea that you could be with God in paradise, walking with him, engaging with him in the cool of the day. And it sounds like something wonderful. And the Bible tells us that we were made for that purpose, but we all chose to sin against God. As Sam so eloquently puts, we tell him to shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways. And when we sin in that way, we have been put out of the garden for our actions. It has been blocked from us by a cherubim with a, with a sword of fire. And now we find ourselves wandering around in something that feels like a desert going, where do I go? How do I feel a sense of belonging? Where can I feel safe? And that is the description that we see from all of those stats around the whole world around us and something that we all feel. And what the Israelites in this passage, chapters 28 to 30, were feeling right now. Chris told us last week, God has come down to dwell with with them. And yet, because there is a couple of barriers, God feels so close, but yet so far away. So we've got three points to answer that question of how do you get a sense of belonging? Where can you feel safe? Our points are going to be, there's a problem, there's a priest, and there's a promise. Our problem, our priest, and our promise. Let's go to point number one, our problem. Turn with me to chapter 30, verses 1 to 10, which list very clearly that we have a significant problem, that being that we are incompatible with God. The people in Exodus knew that, that there was a significant barrier between them and God because they'd sinned, because they chose to reject God. And it is shown very clearly in the structure, in the architecture of the tabernacle. Because if you look at the next picture, which just lists out what the tabernacle looks like, you've got this entrance going in here with a table of showbread, a golden lampstand, but there are two big barriers to being with God in the Ark of the Covenant. One being an altar of incense described over here in the first few verses, and then a huge curtain in verse six. Two big barriers which say to the Israelites, you can't be with God fully. You're incompatible. There's a barrier, there's two. The first being a, a, an altar of incense. And that altar, if you read in this passage, is constantly billowing out smoke. Why is it billowing out smoke? What's it trying to show us in terms of a barrier of why we can't engage with God? Well, one thing that it's doing is it's saying that there is a a barrier that we can't go past. So let's think about it back in the day with, with COVID. Again, if somebody puts on a mask, what they're showing you is there's something dangerous potentially in them or in you. We need to shield ourselves from each other. And in the same way, this smoke is there to say, you can't see God face to face. You can't interact with him in a way that is entirely vulnerable, like Adam and Eve walking with him in the cool of the day. There needs to be some form of a barrier, which is why this smoke will billow out 24-7 all the time to keep you away from God in some ways because you are no longer compatible. You have sinned. You are no longer holy. And God in his goodness and his holiness would burn you up because there's something wrong with us. That is a problem. That is a big problem. But it doesn't just point to the problem in us It points to our longing, the other problem out there. It points back to Mount Sinai, where people were up a mountain, but God came down in the cloud of smoke. And when he came down, he met with his people. They were lost. They were slaves. They were desperate for somebody to care for them and love them. And what did God do? He met with them in an amazing way. And so when they see that pillar of smoke, they're going, I want to be with God, but I can't. But what wonderful it is when that happens. And that's just one of the barriers. 
The second one that we see in there in verse six is a curtain. Hear me, this is not the same type of curtain that you have in your house, which might be, you know, a fine little drape that, you know, keeps a little bit of a heat in and stuff like that. This was nine centimetres thick and it was solid. It's the type of thing that those two big guys that I described from the Newcastle football team, they won't be able to lift it. It is massive and it is thick. In fact, it is something that was felt as solid. And along it, we read in chapter 26, verse one, was sewn in pictures of cherubim. Now, I just want to be really clear. Valentine's Day is coming up. Lots of you will see pictures of cherubim, but they're not cherubim. They're fat babies in nappies shooting out arrows, aren't they? That's not a cherubim from the description of the Bible. That's some sort of weird thing that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Cherubim in the Bible were described as things that would cause you fright and fear. We have a lot of cute toddlers. Some of them wander around in nappies. I don't see any of the parents or some people go, ah! It's just not what happens. But here in the Bible, it describes something that will invoke fear. In fact, the place where it's described to these cherubim is in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis, when we are put out of paradise from God and where a cherubim guards the gates, the entrance to the garden with a sword of flame. What's that telling us? There's a physical barrier between you and God again because of your lack of holiness, because of how you've behaved with God but also it's pointing back to the garden, not just to Mount Sinai, but to the garden, to where we want to be. We want to be with God. We want things to be okay. We want to feel safe and secure and to chat with him and be open with all that we think and and, and have, but we can't. We've got a big problem because we have chosen to sin. Every one of us, if we were in the garden, we've done the same thing. Every one of us, if we were at the Mount, Mount Sinai, would have chosen to reject God. Every one of us today have done the same thing, which is why Beth led us in a confession earlier, we have got a big problem here and we need to do something about it. So have the Israelites. Which brings us to the second thing that we see here. We see priests. Priests are there to help with this problem. Now I know, I know, we live in Manchester. We're part of an independent evangelical church you don't talk about priests that much. In fact, I did a little bit of research this week, you can call it research, and asked a bunch of you, what do you think of when you think of priests? And the responses I got were robes, okay, Halo theme tune. I don't know why that was a thing, but there we go. And Jedis. So, I mean, we, we, priest is a funny thing for us to get our heads around and particularly what they do. But can I say to you, a lot of us feel comfortable talking about God as our father, God as our king, God as our savior, maybe even God as a prophet who tells truth. Friends, if you don't catch that God is a wonderful priest who cares for us, then you're missing something deep about how good he is. So let's just delve into what priests do and how they help us. Well, the first thing priests do that we see is priests point back to the problem. Look at me with chapters 28 and 29. Priests are going to sacrifice and offer atonement for the sins of Israel and the sins of themselves as well. But they also need to carefully clothe themselves. So in chapter 28, verses 1 to, friend, 1 to 30, we see them put an ephod and a breastplate carrying God's, people, God's people's names in the tribes of Israel. There's pomegranates in there. That's not something to be bougie and to look lovely, but it's pointing back to the garden again and a desire to be back with God. And actually, it gets a bit funny because at the end of chapter 28, there's a description of how they should wear their undergarments as well so that, and in that description so that they don't show their private parts towards God and fall over and die. 
Now that, to you, as you look at that, might be kind of something that's a little bit funny, like, don't flash in those areas, otherwise you might keel over and die. But actually, it's showing something serious here about our problem. These priests need to carefully clothe themselves in all these things. They need to be incredibly careful about what they wear. They need to be incredibly careful about what they present before God because, not because it's a funny, but because they cannot do what Adam and Eve could do. They cannot be walking with God in the cool of the day. In fact, Genesis 2, 25, what does it describe? It describes Adam and Eve as walking with God naked and unashamed, honest and vulnerable, accepted as they were. And that is a difficult thing for us because we are clouded in sin, which is why even for a priest to approach God, they need to acknowledge that they are impure. They need to become ritually pure. They need to become spiritually, in some senses, pure by going about things in the right way. And that involves all of this clothing and all of this carefulness in which they're putting themselves together. Once they do that, though, priests don't just point to the problem. They offer a sacrifice and an atonement. We see that in chapter 30, where they are making a sacrifice for the people of Israel's sake. But the last thing that priests do is, and this is the one that you really want to remember, priests lead people home. Priests led the people of Israel to the place that they always wanted to go, past the altar of incense, past the curtain, into the place on the day of atonement where they could be with God as they are carried on the breastplate towards God the Father and to be able to engage with him and to be able to receive forgiveness, to in some senses, not perfectly, but in some senses, have that moment again where they are naked and unashamed, where they are walking with God in the cool of the day, where they are accepted and loved by him, where they receive forgiveness and they enjoy God's affection and togetherness in there as they are being forgiven for all that is going on. Isn't that a wonderful thing that they they could have? And actually, priests help them see that. So we have a problem. We have the priests. Lastly, we have the promise. The promise that if the priests interact and follow the rules in this way, if a sacrifice is given and an atonement is is done in the right ways, that forgiveness can can, can be given to the Israelites, that they can somehow look forward to being with God forever, that they can look forward to, even though they were in the desert, being in the promised land and being with God forever. What a wonderful thing we can see. The problem is huge. The priests are wonderful and the promised is great. Now, that's all wonderful, but you might be thinking, cool, Eric, now what? I've learned some facts about a priest. I don't think they're Jedis anymore. It's not going to change my life significantly. Thank you for that. That's, that's wonderful. Um, what's that got to do with me? Well, haven't you heard as we've gone through Exodus again and again and again, we want to be careful because this is a story, a true story, but not everything is applicable to us straight away now. We're not going to start uh, you know, wearing bells and all this other stuff. But really, the description of the Israelites is us. This is our problem. And we need a priest. And we need to hold on to a promise. This is our problem. We need to hold on to our priest. We need to hold on to our promise. What's our problem? We have the same thing as the Israelites, right? We sin and we choose to reject God. But we have a different priest. We have Jesus. This side of the cross, he has given us a perfect gift of his sacrifice, of his blood. Jesus gives us three things. He gives us his blood. Hebrews 10, chapter 14. For by one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. 
The difference with his sacrifice is it's a one-time payment and we get to be with God forever. We get to enjoy access with him. You know that barrier, that huge curtain that was significant? Upon Jesus' death, it is torn in two. We get to access God in, in a way. We get the gift of his blood. But we also get the gift of his obedience. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to emphasize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was fully God and fully man, meaning he knows what it's like to be tempted to sin. He knows what it's like to feel a sense of where do I fit in? And yet he behaved perfectly for our sakes. And actually he gives us his obedience. This is what theologians call the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin and punishment and we get clothed in his perfect actions. We get given righteousness. Last gift that we get from Jesus, his blood, his obedience. We also get the gift of his care or his interceding, if you want to use a longer word. Romans 8, 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You've probably heard the curtain being ripped in two before and us being able to have access to God. Do you want another picture of how Jesus loves us and he's wonderful and he's good? You remember I said there were two barriers? One was the curtain and the other one was that altar where smoke was billowing up all through the time. And there was a description of smoke back there in Sinai. There's also a description of smoke with Jesus later on because what happens to him? He dies and the curtain gets ripped in two. Then he raises from the grave he tells his disciples the wonderful truth of the gospel and then he ascends into heaven. He passes up into the sky through cloud to heaven. Daniel and Revelation tell us that. So he's actually passing through the smoke and leading us, because he's the wonderful priest, home. He's leading us to the way in which we get access and he's not just sitting there in heaven, twiddling his thumbs. But he's actually one who intercedes for us now. He is praying for us. He is calling to the Father about how good we are. And what do we see in this picture from 28, 29, and 30 of Exodus? The priest would wear a breastplate with the names of the people of Israel. Jesus has died. He has, in, he has risen from the grave. He has ascended on high through smoke into heaven. And for our sakes, if we respond with faith and repentance... He carries our names on his heart. Isn't that wonderfully encouraging? Isn't that something that we can hold on to? So if you look forwards towards the future, this gets really applicable and really serious. If you look forward to your future, you cannot predict how strong you will be. You cannot be sure that you will be able to handle every difficult thing that happens. COVID has taught us that. The rising cost of living has taught us that. The crisis has caused us that. Threat of war has taught us that. But if Jesus is reigning on high, if he has passed through smoke to be with God the Father, if he has led the way into that holy of holies that we want, that Israelites thousands of years ago longed for, if he is there and he is interceding for us, if he is praying for us, if he is, to, if he is covering us with his good work, then that means that he will hold on to us as well. He's good, he is wonderful. Which is why we get our problem, our priest. We also get our promise. Our promise is one of a warm welcome. Just one more time, that picture of that entrance on the way in. Did you see that? It talked about a barrier, smoke. It talked about another barrier, a curtain. 
But either side of that smoky altar were two things, a table and a lampstand. A lampstand that was described in chapter 30 as always being on and a table that you know if you've had the Lord's Supper before, if you've accepted God's forgiveness and you take often, is something that we enjoy with God. We feast on and we engage with him. Let me try and give you a bit of, a bit of an example of this. I, my wife and I have just had a, had a one-month-old baby and, and it's just really exciting to be able to have a, have a little kid uh, again. It's really wonderful. And also I consider life wonderful at the moment because I have a job where I get to engage with you guys and spend time with you. Like, we were just joking with each other, like we're waiting for life to be, seem terrible because it's just so wonderful at the moment. Like we enjoy our family and we enjoy our church family. And I'm just so grateful for, for both. It's, it's, it's wonderful. But one thing that I find tough is sometimes after a 6.30 service, sometimes after prayer and praise or equip or a members meeting, I'm like, it is late at night. I've got to go home now. And when I get home, because we've got three kids now, it's dark. There's no more warm welcome. It used to be that I'd get home and Claire would be there and she'd be like, hi, love. Here, I've made some food for you. Let's hang out and just talk. What's on your heart? But now, with three kids, it is one kid, the other kid, third kid. And my wife's like, oh, sleeping quietly as well. It's just slightly different. There is no light on. There is no warm food waiting for me. There is no greeting and an opportunity to share my heart. I make a cheeky pop noodle, I nip upstairs, I try to not wake up my wife, I stand on a squeaky toy, everybody wakes up, and I'm like, oh, this is not warm anymore. It's, it's just different, okay? Now hear me, I'm not complaining. I've just said before, life is wonderful, and I'm incredibly grateful for it, but that is not the picture that we get here with God. There is a table waiting for you with food to engage with, to commune with God, it's almost, you want, to, you want to use it in Manchester language? It's almost as like God saying, I'm waiting for you. Come, let's have a cup of coffee. Share what's on your heart with me. I, want to, I, don't, I don't just want to save you. I want to commune with you. I want to know what's going on with you. And there's a lampstand. It is always on saying you are welcome to come home. You're welcome to engage with him. The promise is not one of, oh, you've messed up again. Work harder, earn it. There is a warm welcome. Our God is delighted to hear about us and to engage with us. Our promise is also, not just a warm welcome. Our promise is that Jesus will keep us too. Hebrews 6 describes Jesus as our high priest and that we are be able to engage with God because of the identity that he's given us as well. That chapter describes him as our anchor, meaning that he will keep us. He will hold us. If he's passed through that cloud, if he's described as our anchor, then no matter what you do, if you have responded with faith and repentance, and you are trusting in God and holding on to him. If it's all about what he has done, he will keep us, won't he? Ralph described this really helpfully last week with the picture of baptism, that baptism is not something that we do. We are passive in being baptized, but it is the one who dunks us into death and raises us into life. That person is the one who will keep us. He will sustain us. He is the one that we can trust in all of that. What a wonderful promise that the Israelites get. But what an even greater warmer, encouraging promise that we get there. And what that means is today you are called into action. The dangerous thing to think at this point is, wow, someday I'll get to be home with Jesus. Someday I'll get a sense of belonging. It is not someday I will feel that wonderful sense of belonging. It is today I have that sense of belonging. Can I say that one more time? It is today you will have that sense of belonging if you put your faith in Christ and you respond with repentance. Because we do not just wait for Christ in the future. We have his spirit 
with us now, which is why City Church talks about living life to the fullest. We do not talk about twiddling our thumbs and waiting until we get to see Jesus. There is a purpose and a meaning to everything that we do right now. And we get to enjoy and engage with God in that way. Do you know that there were priests back then? Do you know that Jesus is our perfect high priest? Final point. Do you know that we are described in 1 Peter as the priesthood of all believers? That means that all of us function in some senses like priests. All of us have access towards God like priests. All of us have a right to interpret scripture and carefully think through things and carefully want to apply them towards our lives. It means all of us get to build into this church family and get to love each other. Do you know what my favorite thing that I get to do in this wonderful job is? It's not preaching. I like doing that very much. It's not, you know, ringing the bell. That's cool, but you know, it's not, that, that's not my favorite thing to do. My absolute favorite thing to do is to watch somebody step out in faith and to minister to somebody else. So often we'll see people come up and chat to us and go, my life is broken in this way. Things are hurting in this way. Sundays can be quite painful because on any given Sunday, there's just a bucket load of people whose lives are falling apart and painful and it is gut-wrenching. But it is beautiful and wonderful when somebody else overhears that conversation and goes, I've been through that. Do you wanna chat with me? And, and, and you know what's wonderful when that happens? The person who's come to talk to me and going, I, I, I'm struggling with, I don't know, my life falling apart. I'm struggling with miscarriage. I'm struggling with feeling single. I'm struggling with feeling lonely. I'm struggling with everything else. They don't go, I still want to talk to you. They, I disappear. They, they talk to that other person and there's almost a priesthood of all believers of, of ministering to each other that's there. That is wonderful. That is a picture of the church family. So what does this look like for us to live like priests who are full of the promise, who recognize our problem and to trust in our high priests? Well, it looks like us encouraging one another, doesn't it? So it means that we don't just look to one-to-ones with Ralph or praying opportunities with Matt. It looks like us engaging and encouraging each other in book clubs when we meet with each other. It looks like church members remembering a difficult meeting for somebody else in Connect and praying for them, maybe even texting them some level of encouragement. It looks like a student who's being mentored by somebody older than them, who looks like they have everything to, with life sorted, stepping out in faith and just doing a little bit of a challenge and an encourage and a prayer and, and, and a steering for them as well. So that it is a two-way thing that is helpful. Friends, that's the wonderful thing. If we believe that we are all priests before God because he has called us to action now, it means that all of us can step out in action and no one's gonna go, how dare you? Who do you think you are? but rather we're going to say we are church family learning from each other and that's a wonderful thing for us to do. We stumble together trying to lean on God and dependency towards him. Friends, isn't that the picture we see here? The smoke is dissipated. The curtain is torn in two. The sacrifice is paid for and we can now enjoy God forever, even now, today. And our high priest is praying interceding to God the Father for us right now and we are anchored to him by his good work and we will be led safely home. But right now, right now, today, we have a place, a purpose and a sense of a call and a belonging before God and what a wonderful thing to be involved in. Why don't we step out in doing that today, later on as we see each other? Let me pray and then the band are gonna lead us as we respond. Father, we recognise that our problem is significant. 
we recognise that sin is something that will pull us away from you. It has done so for millennia of people. But Lord, we thank you that we don't just have a problem, we have a priest, a great higher priest who has given so much towards us. And because of that, we hold on to your promise, not just for the future, but for today as well. Lord, in the meantime, would you help us to not just look around and look at all the ways that we can be tempted to feel like we don't belong. Would you help us to realise that you will lead us home and right now you have given us a wonderful home in church family. We want to love that family. We want to be involved in that family. And we want to point around to the world as well, around us, to bring them in and tell them, taste and see how wonderful our God is, how great our priest is as well. It is in your name we pray.